Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. You, yes, you, listener. Did you know that everybody at History Hack works for free? And as much fun as that is, it would be great if we could garner just a little bit of support for all of the time and effort that goes in to producing the show. Uh, I have a cat that needs food. Zach has Airfix models to buy. And Boney, well, Boney likes books. So if you can chuck us a couple of quid as a one-off by Kofi or subscribe to Patreon, we would much appreciate it. Thank you. Hello and welcome to today's History Hack. We've got one of our recurring guests today, nay, one of the family, Zach, haven't we? We have, we have. She's billed regularly as my podcasting wife. Um, it is, of course, the lovely Charlie, Mrs. White. Um, I was going to kind of introduce you as mistress of restoration cake, and then I decided that actually maybe that's got the wrong kinds of connotations. You're nobody's mistress other than your own. Um, Charlie's well known with her kind of baking amazing creations um see the great war group cake which was just a thing of beauty um she describes herself as a history buffoon and a nerd she's a girly swat i'll give her that but you're not a buffoon mate we're, we're not having that but you are writing at the moment aren't you about burton and taylor in inside history magazine um so i'm guessing that's what we're going to talk about today some filmy stuff we are indeed, yes. I'm really looking forward to talking to you about Burton and Taylor because uh, it's a love story. But if you are expecting chocolate boxes and roses and a happy ending, I'm afraid you're not getting it. So you're going to have to just buckle in. It's going to be a bumpy ride, but I promise you we're going to have a lot of fun talking about them. Can we just say as well, um, I have to give you, because I may have been drinking with some regular listeners at the weekend who commented, uh, congratulations, Zach, on getting through that intro and mentioning your podcasting wife without mentioning the fact that you've got a girlfriend because it was referenced in the pub. Um, <laughs> it was referenced that it has become an every episode thing uh, because Zach has to remind us all that he's got a stunning girlfriend. And I was like, yes, he does. And I'm not going to stop him because he's so cute. But you did and get you know what? Oh, I'm not even sorry. No, Hang on, you've got a girlfriend. Yeah, I mean, ha have we not mentioned this already? What? <laughs> not in the last five minutes. Anyway, <laughs> how did they meet? Not Zach and his girlfriend. We know how that. Happened. <laughs> we forced them together by like clitching the back of their heads and making them like talk to each other at the conference. But how did Burton and Taylor meet, Charlie? Well, they met on the set of Cleopatra, the uh, the budget-busting studio 
bankrupting epic, which if you haven't seen it, you know, it's, it's worth three hours of your life to, to, um, to watch. Um, so Elizabeth Taylor was playing Cleopatra, obviously. She was the first actress to be paid a million dollars for a role. So already big budget stuff. And Richard Burton was the second actor cast as Mark Antony. Like I said, there's, there were so many problems with this production that we could do a whole other episode about how this production broke the studio system. If people want to hear it, we will do it. But they were attracted to each other fairly instantly at this point. Um, they would go out for drinks together in the evening, the whole cast and crew, you know, everyone would be out together. They'd got a, a mutual friend in Roddy McDowell who'd kind of you know, ply them with alcohol and, uh, and just watch, watch sparks fly and watch all the humour humor between them. Um, the only problem was is that both of them were married at this time. So, eh, but then Burton's got previous in this. And Richard Burton's arrangement with his long-suffering wife, Sybil, was very much that he would come back to her after each film because he would always sleep with his leading lady. It's just what he did. Uh, Elizabeth Taylor's husband wasn't quite so okay with it. Uh, Eddie Fisher, but we'll talk more about him later. So they, they pretty much fell in love straight away. It was incredible to watch, and you can watch it. So they spent months together hanging out before they ever filmed a scene together. But the first scene that they did film together, uh, Burton's Anthony says, everything that I want to hold or love or have or be is here with me now. And she says, it doesn't seem fair what I feel I should have felt long ago when I was very young, when I could say to myself, this was how love was and how it would be. And they kiss and they kiss passionately. And they kissed until the director called cut and then he kept calling cut and they kept kissing. And that was, that was pretty much um, instant, instant deal done. Though people did joke about her cause she did have to marry everyone she slept with. So uh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing my head off. I was watching only fools and horses the other day. And you know, there's that one where Dell is talking to the gay guy. And yeah. They're having this, blissfully like charming conversation despite the fact that this guy's massively camp and uh, he says I don't follow football and he's like oh Elizabeth Taylor her eyes her eyes and yeah. Goes, yeah pity she got fat in it oh boo, boo. <laughs> yeah there's this incredible thing about her eyes right she was born with a genetic mutation which sounds really really dramatic she was born with a double set of eyelashes how cool is that? She always looked like she was wearing false eyelashes. So she's actually got two sets of eye eyelashes. And um, people said that they were, they were so blue that they were almost violet. It's just incredible eyes Elizabeth Taylor had. Yeah, I mean, she's stunning. The weight, yeah, becomes an issue in her life. But hey, who, who, can't, who can say that it isn't? Who <laughs> hasn't gone through a chubby phase? I don't trust anyone who's never gone through a chubby phase, any woman who's never gone through a chubby phase at some no. point. There's so many hormones don't trust them. around and life changes <laughs> and birthing of babies and things. It happens yeah. to everybody. <laughs> uh, it all sounds very, very romantic and lovely, uh, possibly not if you're one of the people that they're already married to. So give us... Give us her background then. You said she married everyone she ever slept with. 
Yes, uh, Elizabeth Taylor was very much the patron saint of weddings. I think it is fair to, to say. She was married more times than Henry VIII, uh, <laughs> which is an excellent quiz question. If you ever asked you know, who was who was married more, it was Elizabeth Taylor. Did she and behead it, any of them, though? I'll be impressed. No, no, she she didn't. But it is a, she does have a very easy rhyme. So here's the rhyme, just so you never forget. Divorced, divorced, died, divorced, divorced, remarried, divorced, divorced, divorced. So Oh, it's easier, isn't it? Easy to remember. Um, Her first marriage was very much to transition her from child star to adult movie goddess. So she'd been a child star at MGM and she had her big break at the age of 12. And they would do this quite a lot. So they've got you know, young girls, and all of a sudden they want to start casting them in romantic lead roles. It needs to be okay for the audience to fancy them. Yeah. So what they would normally do is they'd send them on well-publicized dates. You know, they'd be photographed and in the press. Oh, look, Elizabeth Taylor, she's out with a with a, a college football star. You know, that kind of all-American, very innocent, very wholesome. Yeah. Kind of, kind of deal to to make it clear that she's a woman now. Great. That makes that makes sense. But with with Elizabeth, she she's a little bit confused, I think, between real life and her screen life. And she expected that she would fall in love and get married because that's what happens in movies. You know, the hero mm. gets the girl, they get married, they live happily ever after. So she married at the age of 18, very, very young. And she just finished filming Father of the Bride. And her wedding dress was made by the MGM costume department. That's how linked these two things are. She's completely indoctrinated, isn't she? Really is. So this is 1950. She's 18 years old. And she marries Nicky Hilton, who is, yes, that Hilton of the the hotels. I think he was Paris's great uncle. But Mm. he's he's a Hilton. And it all looked absolutely perfect from the outside. Unfortunately, Nicky Hilton pretty much as soon as they were married, started beating her, which is horrific. So she divorced very quickly because, you know, it, it, it was really bad from, mm-hmm. from reading about it. Uh, she may have even miscarried a child. It was, it was horrendous, especially when she was expecting this uh, very, very Hollywood ending. Yeah. So unsurprisingly, she then goes much older, doesn't she? She does. She goes much, well, she goes, it's like a flip 180. Yeah. And she goes with a real father figure, a British actor by the name of Michael Wilding, who she was um, she was filming with. And he was, by, by all sounds of things, quite caring and quite loving. And she, she has a couple of children by him and then realises that there's no passion in her marriage. Now, this is a whole other issue to talk about, the, the idea of what is passion. But it seemed very much that what she's looking for is... Elizabeth and Mr. Darcy rather Mm -hmm. than Jane and Mr. Bingley. She doesn't want comfy, happy. She apparently even goaded him during a fight to hit her. So there's a real problem there. But they they divorce after five years in 1957 when she meets Mike Todd. He's a film producer. So he is, you know, he's a little bit older. He is... um, a really extravagant personality. He spoils her rotten. He's fun. He's passionate. He introduces her to expensive jewelry for the first time, which uh, Mm -hmm. she becomes very, very fond of. 
but he died in 1958 in a plane crash. You just couldn't write it. Apparently she was even meant to be traveling with him, but she was off ill. She, she was filming, but she got off set because she was unwell and didn't want to be seen going out partying with her husband while she's off. So she wasn't on the plane and he died. She was a widow at 26, which is just horrific to think of. And she finds comfort in her husband's best friend. So like, like a lot of couples, they've got couple best friends and their couple best friends are Eddie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds, parents of Carrie Fisher for our Star Wars fans amongst, amongst us here. Yeah, absolutely. For our, our Star Wars boys. Um, so Elizabeth and Eddie Fisher get together and Elizabeth is dragged through the press as a homewrecker, as the, the whore of Babylon for breaking up this perfect marriage of America's sweetheart, Debbie Reynolds. What people didn't know is that actually Eddie and Debbie had been having problems for years, um, but it didn't help that Elizabeth Taylor kind of slept with her husband. That never helps. But no, no. Uh, Hedda Hopper asked her about it in the press and Elizabeth just said, look, my husband's dead. What do you expect me to do, sleep alone? So, <laughs> yeah. zero zero f's given she, yeah uh, yeah she's pretty subversive is elizabeth taylor so that's at this point when she meets richard burton she is still married to eddie fisher but also it takes two to tango people mm-hmm. you know it doesn't just happen by magic it you know doesn't she doesn't just turn on the scene and then miraculously everybody's incapable of containing themselves Oh no, he would have been men in these scenarios. He just tripped over and his penis fell inside her. He was quite innocent. She tempted him with her wicked female witchcrafty ways. Evil wicked (laughs) vagina sucked him in. (laughs) They'll do that. Yeah. Be careful. Richard Burton, though, what about him? Is he happily married at this point? Um, you know, was it a case of, you know, Elizabeth, that horrific person who just goes around and destroying homes? Was she just a wrecking ball through another relationship or was he actually just not particularly happily married? It's, do you know what? I mean, he always said he would never, ever leave Sybil. So they, they'd married again. They'd married quite young, but, uh, and they, they'd met while in Wales. She knew him. She understood him. He, he was from a, a mining community, came from, came from a very poor family. In fact, his mother died shortly after he was born of what he described as just medical neglect because they didn't have money and, and she was pretty much just allowed to, to slip away. So he'd been, he'd been raised in this mining community in Wales and Sybil got him. So as he got into acting and it turned out he was very good he was adopted by one of his teachers who just thought he was, he got a lot of potential. That's why he, he was born Richard Jenkins. He took the name Burton after his adopted, adopted parent figure. She got him. She'd been through that journey with him. She, she knew his background. And every time he slept with a leading lady, which he did uh, repeatedly, he would come back to Sybil. And she seemed to accept that. And 
that was just the arrangement that they had. After, after um, you know, everything happens with with Cleopatra, and they try to stay away from each other. They really, really do. There's Sybil just knows that this is different. This is, it's not going to. Their marriage isn't going to survive. Elizabeth Taylor. Something about her is is very different. So they were they were as happily married as I I think they could be. They've got two children, two daughters. And uh, I don't think he wanted to break up his family. I think he really, really struggled with it. And we've got his diaries, which is really interesting. So you can actually read what what he was thinking at this time. But it was nothing could survive this. When you see that kind of energy, that type of chemistry, nothing could nothing could stand in that way, unfortunately. Okay, so going back to Cleopatra, though. And, you know, the, that famous incident that you mentioned, you know, the director calls cut and they just go, I'm, I'm in the moment, you know, come back to us in half an hour sort of thing. Um, what, what's happening on the set? Where have things got to? You know, presumably there have been more instances like that where they're doing these scenes and they're making out and everyone's just like, can we actually release this legally? <laughs> yeah, the worst kept secret in Hollywood, I think, um, the Burton and Taylor affair, the press get wind of it. The press and the paparazzi get wind of what is going on. And there's these really famous photographs of them out on a boat together. So there's these big naval battle scenes in, in Cleopatra and they're relaxing between takes on a boat. She's in a bikini. He's in trunks. She's putting suntan lotion on his back. And these photos go around the world. It's called a la scandale. <laughs> and this is where the Pope thinks he should get involved. So the Pope gets involved and deems this erotic vagrancy. So she is called out. Yeah. Again, That's something I want to be guilty of. Oh, yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to have it written on your headstone. Erotic yeah. vagrant. Here lies. Don't even know what it means, but it sounds cool. It does sound really good. It's like the kind of thing that you would love to have on your, you know, on your criminal record. Because See, I would Google it, but I'm not sure I want that in my probably search Probably not history. a good idea. Don't put it in your search history. I so, have just Googled the boat <laughs> photos and yeah. They're, it's they're hot. Not, yeah. It's it's hot. Yeah, they are they are there for all to see. So they're they're being called out by the Pope. People in Italy are starting to shout, you know, whore and homewrecker at her as she as she walks through the streets. Um Congress even discusses at one point not letting them back into the US because they are so dangerous and disgusting and immoral. They really represent this moment where we go from the strict moral codes of the 40s and the 50s, which are upheld by the production code in Hollywood and the Hayes Code, and having to have one foot on the floor and all adulterers have to be punished and all of that kind of stuff. And the control that studios had over their stars in that if they broke their morality clause, they could be suspended, they could be, you know, you could never work again. When a star of the caliber of Elizabeth Taylor is getting away with it again, is doing this again, she's already broken up one, one family. You're seeing a shift into the, the sexual liberation of the 60s and the 70s and the end of the studio system because they no longer have this kind of control over their stars. If they can't 
if they can't police their behavior, then they can't control them. So in Italy, the shit is hitting the fan. Let's be honest. So the studio are under pressure because all of this is really bad press. I mean, all, all good, all publicity is good publicity, right? But this is this is not looking good. The the Vatican are unhappy. Congress is pissed. Um, the press are going absolutely insane. But they keep filming, they keep going, and they keep having this affair. And there is a story about even one night where Elizabeth and Richard are alone and she's saying that she loves him so much. If she can't be with him, she's going to kill herself. And she took a load of pills in front of him. And he's thinking, this is, this is hilarious. She's, this Mm. is a joke. Chasing them down with, with drink. This is going to be a theme that's going to keep coming back. Drink and drugs with these two. Mm. So she does this and it, she has to be rushed to hospital and have her stomach pumped. She really did do it. So, and uh, of course the publicity is that she, she had exhaustion and needed some days to recover, but and it's another reason why Cleopatra costs so much money because Elizabeth Taylor is ill a lot, but yeah, apparently she did this sort of mad suicide attempt because they were saying, yeah, we, we really, we have to stop this. We've got to, too many people are getting hurt. We need to stop what we're doing and they did try in all fairness when they when they wrapped um and they they both went back to to their lives she she'd already announced that she was going to divorce Eddie she admitted she'd married him out of grief and mutual mourning for Mike Todd that wasn't working but as agreed Richard Burton went back to Sybil and they tried to stay away from each other but unfortunately they, they just couldn't do it. They started talking on the phone. They were both in Switzerland. They both got lovely properties in Switzerland. And he started driving up to her house to see her. And it was just, that was it. The writing was on the wall. I'm going to come out and say, he's not even that fit. Oh, mate, I've, I've fallen in love with him. I completely, completely. I didn't realise that one of his daughters from his marriage to Sybil as well is Meredith's mum in Grey's Anatomy. Curtain. So Beth will be very excited about that because she's hooked on Grey's at the moment because I have bludgeoned her into watching it and she's now binging it all day. <laughs> That's so interesting. And I I did not know that. So I'm guessing, yeah, Kate Burton must be must be her mum. That's so cool. I mean, I, I was hoping that there would be a, a sort of grandson around somewhere, a Richard Burton Jr. that I could look up, but <laughs> <laughs> he was look, he was a different, a, you know, a whole different type of type of guy I mean he was he he'd had really bad acne as a teen he'd got, he got he was pockmarked um but he just had I mean he had that voice everyone just fell in love with this beautiful baritone voice that he'd got and it's a different different type of different type of hot <laughs> so I'm guessing these two divorces cost an absolute fortune oh yeah I mean Eddie Fisher took his share he took a lot of money. Their divorce uh, had to go through a few, a few iterations before it actually happened. She had to pay him a lot to go away. And uh, on the flip side, Richard Burton actually gave his wife everything. He, I think, he just felt so guilty because he really, he like I say, he'd always said he would never leave Sib, and he gave her plenty. She actually went away and started a disco club 
in New York and married a musician and had a really lovely life. So she was like this queen of New York disco. So they get divorced in what, 1964. So yeah, she it was pretty awesome for Sybil. She she did all right. But, yeah. But they get married. Yay. Weddings. Nice romantic bit. So they they get married in 1964. And the following day, Richard Burton's on stage. He's playing Hamlet in Toronto. And he comes out like, I think he does like six curtain calls. He keeps coming. They, the public are mental for them. They're mental for, for this whole story. This has all been played out in the press. And he comes out for his last curtain call. And in, in a quote from Hamlet, he says, we will have no more marriages. <laughs> and it brings the house down and they go mad for him. But the public are completely obsessed with anything Burton and Taylor. And uh, they get mobbed. They get completely mobbed. They fly from Toronto to Boston. There's 3,500 fans waiting for them when they land. And then when they get to their hotel, the fans follow them there. And they're so excited that Burton and Taylor are in this hotel that they rip them apart. It's, they, they pull their clothes apart. They pull their hair out. Um, apparently, Elizabeth's handbag's being kicked around the floor like a football. These are fans. <laughs> It's like it's it's just terrifying, isn't it? Scary. It's they really, then, really scary. They then go off and make a bucket load of films together. Yeah. So they they know they've got a product that the public want, and they repeatedly give it to them. So they make, I think they make a total of ten feature films together. And um, that doesn't include uh, when they appeared on stage together. It doesn't include. TV films. So they did lots and lots of stuff together. Um, so they do uh, The Taming of the Shrew, which is just playing up to their their relationship and their sort of quite combative uh, relationship that they have, which is quite, quite sort of uh, feisty. So he plays Petruchio and she plays Kate and it's just, it's, it's completely mad. I totally recommend that. They make a rather ill-advised film version of Dr. Faustus, which was not very well received. And perhaps the most famous film they made together was Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, for which she won, um, she won an Oscar. And they play a couple who are drunk and argumentative. And yeah, it's a, and sort of, they need each other, but they are you know, the kind of couple that if you if you were friends with, you just wouldn't want to go around their house. <laughs> Awkward. They're going to fight again. They're going to get pissed and fight again. Oh no! But that's yeah. The the public wanted that. They wanted Burton and Taylor. They joked that they were like Laurel and Hardy. So they just did everything together. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep digging on the kind of it's not perfect element because you talk about the fighting there's a lot more besides the fighting isn't there yeah um so the alcohol and the drugs is a big thing with them um physical fights actually you know properly going at each other and not not just in private in public as well they they would get drunk and they would just pick at each other um they both suffered 
bizarrely, just by by coincidence, they both suffered from really bad back pain. So Elizabeth fell off a horse when she was 12 and she was filming National Velvet, which is a film about a girl who rides a horse and did her back. And Richard had terrible back pain from playing rugby because he's Welsh. You have to you have to play rugby. Um, In fact, whenever Wales were playing rugby, he would have somebody at the side of the stage or at the side of set, like signaling to him what the scores were. So he would always have, and he refused to work on St. David's Day. So it was always written into his contract. He was a very, very proud Welshman. But he had a terrible back from that. He also got uh, beaten up at Paddington Station. Again, about this time, very early in their, in their relationship, he got beaten up just by some thugs. And he had terrible, terrible back pain. Now, he would not go and see a doctor. He was one of these guys. And guys, please don't be that guy. He would never go and see a doctor. So he self-medicated when he was in pain with alcohol. She would love to go to the hospital. She would always go to the hospital. She had a lot of doctors who um, who would treat her and just give her pills. And this is this is something in Hollywood that was, we still see today. It's like, if you're a big star here, have some pills, have painkillers, have anything you need. And she would chase them with alcohol. So it was a really bad combination that the two of them had. In fact, it's pop psychology, but this is an interesting um, argument about Elizabeth Taylor and her, her particular view. She realized very early on that the only real control she had over whether she worked or whether she didn't work was being ill. Mm. And they actually wonder if, well, her, they wonder if she perhaps made herself ill psychologically. So it was like a psych, psychosomatic. Yeah. Because then she could have a day off work because you know, the, the studio machine, she would be filming, filming, filming constantly. Um, but then there are entries in Richard's diaries which reveal illnesses that she certainly couldn't be faking um, and certainly couldn't be bringing on herself. And it sounds awful. She had really, she had nasty piles at one point. It just ugh, sounded awful. But so painkillers, alcohol, it's a bad combination. What's the final straw then for the Burton Taylor marriage? What kind of completely scuppers it? Well, they, you know, they, um, they managed to go for quite, quite a long time in this way. You know, fighting, making up, fighting, making up, beating each other up making up um and richard really wore his love and his fidelity to elizabeth like something of a badge of honor the way he looked at it is that if he was going to explode his marriage to sybil it was going to be forever and that was the thing so he he really really um didn't want to ever leave elizabeth when he started looking at other women he realized that something was wrong now She'd been very jealous of Sophia Loren. I mean, who wouldn't be? She's mm. freaking gorgeous. Um, and only took a role in a particular film that she did with Richard called The Comedians because it was going to go to Sophia. And she was she just didn't want him to have time alone with her. So she took the role. Uh, she was really, really jealous of um, Genevieve Bujold, who played Anne Boleyn against Burton's Henry VIII in Anne of the Thousand Days. She was really jealous of her, not only because Richard was clearly fond of her and gave her a little nickname and everything, 
but because that should have been Elizabeth's role. But Elizabeth, by this point, was too old to play Anne Boleyn. And that is, I mean, in terms of insecurities as an actress, to be told you're too old to play opposite your husband. And he's fine. He can keep playing yeah. he can keep playing the romantic lead until he croaks, until he falls apart. But sorry, love, you're, you're over 30. You've... Mm, so no one's going to believe that someone fancies you. So come on, this is just crazy. She has an uncredited role in that film, though, as one of Anne's ladies in waiting because she was keeping an eye on him. So look out for her. She is there. <laughs> <laughs> it is true. It's absolutely true. Um, so the early 1970s is a real decline in their relationship. So they've spent the 60s being just you know the Burton Taylors crazy drink drugs and all the excesses that came with them as a Hollywood couple they had the jet they had the yacht they got jewelry so much jewelry he loved buying her jewelry it was a pleasure for him to do it um and he spent millions millions on these incredibly rare expensive pieces Mm. the fine art everything about them was just excess so after the after the 60s, when we go into the 70s, it's really going downhill. There's more drugs, more alcohol, more fighting. And when she turned 40 in February 72, they made a TV film called mm-hmm. Divorce Him, Divorce Hers, which was a two-parter, a divorce shown from his perspective and a divorce from her perspective. And it always, are always... Uh, mimicked life and they got divorced so like the worst concept for a film ever that's terrible it's just i've got it and I haven't been able to bear watching it yet i just i can't <laughs> even do it because there's something wonderful about when you watch their first scene in cleopatra together and you you get when you know the little hairs stand up on the the back of your arms and you think oh my god i wouldn't want to be married to either of them and have to watch this because this is hot like um Mr. and Mrs. Smith, when you see Angelina yeah. and Brad Pitt and you're like, mate, that is, there's something going on there. This is beautiful. So I almost can't bear to watch the moment when they are actually getting divorced. But they did. Uh, July 73, Elizabeth issued a public statement. This is, this is really remarkable. So she goes to the press because they, they live their whole relationship in public. She goes to the press and she says, She explains their reasons for separating. And (laughs) this is this is great. She says, she says, maybe we loved each other too much. I never believed such a thing was possible, but we've been in each other's pockets constantly, never apart, but for matters of life and death. And I believe it's caused a temporary breakdown of communication. And then she goes on to say that she's hoping they'll end up getting back together. Um, She says she's going to spend time with her mother and her friends. She says friends are there to help each other, aren't they? Isn't that what it's all supposed to be about? Wish us well during this difficult time. Pray for us. I mean, this is... This This is is not normal for this period. I mean, now, now, yeah, go straight on Twitter with all that nonsense and that. There is no Twitter. No, these guys are pre-breaking the internet. I mean, how many times do you think these two would have broken the internet if they were if they were around now? I mean, this is this year, um, we are 60 years away from 1962. So they met 60 years ago this year. That's this is when this all starts kicking off. To think about, yeah, how completely the world has changed 
since Burton and Taylor got together. But yeah, a statement. Yeah, unconscious couple. Uh, what was it? Conscious uncoupling. Yeah. That was Gwyneth <laughs> Paltrow's. It reminds me of that. It's it's just remarkable. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Crazy. It is mental. Uh, but so that's the end of the story then. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the end of the story at all, is it? It's not finished. No. They, can't be, they can't be done with each other, can they? What happens? Well, she calls him the next day saying, do you think we've done the right thing? <laughs> and... They they go out for dinner for um for you know their their tenth wedding anniversary. So they're they're not actually divorced yet. Um and yeah, she yeah, so they're not divorced. They go out for their tenth wedding anniversary in March 74, and Richard starts flirting with a couple of waitresses very loudly, <laughs> very publicly. And he says he says something to he's we got lots of eyewitnesses, lots of people who actually told their story after the fact. And someone says that he actually said to Elizabeth, you know, now that's a girl I could take home and fuck. And this, that's horrendous. It's a horrendous yeah. thing to say to your wife. And she, she storms out and goes off and he invites the girls back to his hotel room. And they politely decline because they're like 20 year old waitresses. Yeah. And this is a guy in his 40s who they're not... He's just been stabbed with a butter knife by his wife on her way yeah, out. Exactly. <laughs> Awkward. Um, so in June 74, Elizabeth goes to goes to court and they get a divorce. Richard's too ill to attend. He's got a fever at the time. But he just let her have everything. He let her have all of the, the jewels, all of the properties, all uh, the yacht, the art. And he just said, who cares? He just but, does something very materialistic. That's twice he's done that now. He really just goes. All he all he really wants. This is this is the thing about Richard Burton. When you when you read his diaries, all he wanted was his books. She gave him uh, the Everyman Library. It was a collection of a thousand books, mm. and he just loved to read. That's all he did. He was a he was a voracious reader. He would read constantly. He'd read everything, and he wanted to be a writer. I think that I think he was a frustrated writer trapped in the body of a Hollywood actor. Um, but yeah, he didn't want anything. He didn't want any of that. Uh, within hours of them getting divorced, he was on the phone to him again saying, do you think we did the right thing? Um, <laughs> and they, they meet up again the following year. So it's, it's a year later, they see each other in Switzerland 
And Richard says, for two days, we circled each other, very wary, very polite. On the third day, we had a fight. Then we knew we were ourselves again. And well, they're idiots, really, aren't they? Yeah, it's crazy. They got they got engaged two days after that. And they got married again in October 1975 in Botswana. So they did remarry. They were like, we did the wrong thing. We have to be together. So let's get married again. And then everything was great? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> no, he he wasn't the man she married in 1964. When she married him in, again in 1975, um, he, was, he was starting to look old and starting to be quite frail and he yeah he, he I mean he was destroying himself with alcohol basically they continued to fight and by Christmas that year so they get married in October by Christmas he'd met a 27 year old blonde oh, in Switzerland uh, <laughs> um, oh Richard no don't be that no, guy no, stay away from blondes um <laughs> He he didn't even bother trying to hide this from Elizabeth. This, you know, he, why? Um, when he left for New York to start rehearsing uh, Equus in January, he took Susie, uh, Susie Hunt, his, his girlfriend, with him. And the Burton Taylors were granted their second divorce before the end of July in 1976. So it's all very, very quick, these things happening within months. Can you imagine being their friend? Don't do Just it. Like, oh, don't do it. Don't make me slap you. Don't get married again, you crazy, crazy people. <laughs> In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history... We talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. So, final divorce. That's, that's looming. I mean, if they're, they're falling apart by Christmas, then it's, it's inevitable, right? What, how does that go? And then, you know, what's the the sequel to that where do they go in terms of their separate ways well elizabeth goes and marries a republican politician called william warner jr they get married in december 1976 so she's divorced in july 76 she is married in december 76 remember she has to marry every man she sleeps with this is this is elizabeth and how she works. He goes on the campaign trail for a Senate seat. So she is suddenly a candidate's wife. So she's doing the campaign trail. She's, you know, all kissing babies and standing next to him and looking demure and not like a Hollywood star at all. But by the time he actually wins his seat in November 78, their relationship's pretty much over. She's really unhappy. She's not herself. She's not Elizabeth Taylor. She's she's just not acting. She's not not the centre of attention. She's not the centre of attention, but she is. She's a child. To be fair to her, Mm -hmm. yeah, absolutely. I mean, that is what she was built to do. She was built to be a star, and uh, yeah, she's she's numbing her 
her pain and her depression with alcohol and drugs and food. Now, this is where we start getting on to Elizabeth Taylor and her her weight gain. This Mm. is when it becomes really out of control. She, She doesn't feel like herself. She doesn't look like herself. She's deeply unhappy. And she has that moment where she looks at herself in the mirror without any clothes on and says, right, I need to, I need to sort myself out. So she goes on a proper weight loss regime and signs up to do a play. She decides she's going to do a play on Broadway called The Little Foxes. And by the time it premieres in February 1981, she's dropped all the weight and she's dropped the husband. And Elizabeth Taylor is back. Huzzah! Yeah, huzzah! Yeah, yeah that's what we like. <laughs> uh, so, how does it work out with Susie? Yeah, that doesn't really work out. Um, so, it, imagine yeah, my surprise. The, the reality of being married to an aging alcoholic, I think, is is not particularly nice. And um, yeah, no, no one used the word alcoholic then. Mm. Remember, you were a drunk. This was not a disease. This was not something that needed needed help. This was, you, you're a drunk. You fall down, you sort yourself out. So when she left him, again, Richard Burton did what Richard Burton does. And he sort of said, look, no hard feelings. Take what you want. Off you go. And he, he didn't fight her on it. So, yeah, that that didn't, didn't really work out. Um, he been taking some really physically demanding roles because remember this is this is a this is a welsh rugby playing man's man richard burton he was taking some very physically demanding roles and he was in so much pain now with his back and refusing to go to the doctor that his right arm was pretty much useless and he couldn't lift his left arm above the shoulder and he still wouldn't get help for it so it was it was really really bad he's numbing he's numbing the pain with with alcohol rather than treating the 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 symptoms now elizabeth comes to london in february 1982 with the little foxes which have been a big hit on broadway and the first thing she does when she gets to london is she calls richard and they meet up they're both they're both freshly divorced they both got a lot to bitch about together and she asks him to appear in Noel Coward's private lives with her. She thinks this is a really good idea. Oh, no. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. You can just see the writing on the wall, can't you? Mm. Please tell me it goes well. Please tell me that private lives, you know, they, they do really well in this play. It receives critical acclaim and then they just go their separate ways. Okay. It doesn't, so... does it? Private Lives is a play about a divorced couple who are honeymooning with their new partners and realise that they still really fancy each other. So, oh, for goodness sake, what is wrong with these two people? Well, they, she's, she's smart. The thing is, she realises that pe- the public still love the Burton Taylors, and that is exactly what they want to see. They want to see this played out in front of them. They want to see them together and unable to take their hands off each other with Dialogue written by Noel Coward. I mean, I can't imagine anything more perfect. I would have bought a ticket. I would have been front row and centre for this. So they're playing up to their image. They're playing up to their reputation and they're playing up to the publicity of it all. 
Now, it's a really fraught production, unfortunately, because originally when Richard said yes, he thought they were making a film. Then it turned into, no, 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 we're going to do a place. We have to do it night after night after night. And then, oh, no, 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 no. We're not just going to do it in London. We're going to tour it. So he was in for, I think, about 10 months of fighting and falling in love with Elizabeth night after night after night. And this gets scary. Now, he gets an offer from John Huston, amazing director, to come and do a film with him. And he says to Elizabeth, look, I've got this amazing opportunity here to be in this film. And she says, you're not going. You're, you're contracted. I, I'm afraid you have to keep working with me for like 10 months, Richard, because she really wants him back. And everybody knows she's not making a secret of this. She is after her man. Now, Richard's so pissed off with her for refusing him the chance to go and do this film that he goes off to Vegas and marries his girlfriend. <laughs> what? They're both such fuck-ups. I mean, the thing is, you know, I've, I've been re- reading, the, reading two books. So Burton, based on his diaries, and one about Elizabeth. And it does seem very much that the timing adds up, that he had a weekend off and he flew off and married his girlfriend. And that was a real signal to Elizabeth that, I'm not your, I'm not your man. You can't, you can't have me. And uh, she still loved him. She, she wants still loved him back, doesn't she? She wants him back. She wants a man. She loved him, it, and she, she loved him till the day he died, which he did, and he did suddenly, on the fifth of August, nineteen eighty-four. Done, finished. What happened? Um, he had a brain hemorrhage in his sleep, so his wife put him to bed. He, he complained of a headache, um, gave him a cup of paracetamol, went to bed. And um, in the morning, he just couldn't, he, he couldn't wake properly. So she, she took him to the hospital. He was still, he was still alive and with it a bit. But by the time the, the hospital said, look, we're going to have to operate. By the time she got home, when they were going to operate, they actually phoned and said, I'm sorry, he's died. And uh, he, yeah, he, he, he wrote a diary and the last thing he wrote by the side of his bed was um, tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, all our revels had ended, which is Shakespeare, Macbeth, but it's just so heartbreaking. He was only 58 mm. uh, and yeah, just that was it. He was gone really hadn't looked after himself um and she actually what's her reaction because she's engaged again when he dies so how does she react badly so yes she she got engaged shortly after richard got married in vegas to um to a guy called victor luna who had all the right stuff on paper money like to spoil her um crazy about her uh but she completely cracked up when he called, uh, when, when she got the news. Now, thankfully, she had just been uh, in the Betty Ford Clinic before this happened. So after Private Lives ended in November 83, her family staged an intervention and they said, look, you've got to sort yourself out. You are, you're taking so many drugs and you're drinking so much that you're going to kill yourself. So... Off she goes to the Betty Ford Clinic. And uh, so she was in as good a place as she could possibly be. 
She gets the call the day after Richard's died and Victor Luna recalled that she fainted. She became hysterical. He couldn't stop her crying. And he realised in that moment that she was never going to be over Richard. And so he apparently he decided at that point that he was not going to marry her. I hope he didn't tell her at that point that he wasn't going to marry her, but he decided that that wasn't going to happen. Um, the most heartbreaking thing about the, the Burton Taylor story is that Elizabeth wasn't allowed to attend either his funeral or the memorial service for him held in, in Wales. His wife felt that that um, Elizabeth would bring too much press attention and turn it into a you know, media circus, which may be right, may be wrong. But later on, Sally Burton actually said that she felt she'd done the wrong thing. In, in not allowing Elizabeth to attend. So he he was buried in Switzerland. It's where he died. He died in Switzerland. He was buried in Switzerland. And Elizabeth knew that he wanted to be buried in Wales. He didn't, he didn't want to be there. And so she'd been married to him for so long. She'd known him for so long. Uh, so she was really upset about that. But she goes to visit his grave and pay her respects. And the paparazzi are waiting for her, as you can imagine. But the paparazzi are so nasty they're not only waiting in the cemetery where he is buried, they're waiting in the, cere- the, the cemetery where he is not buried, which just happens to be where she goes. And she's looking for his grave and can't find him. And the pictures of her looking for her, her ex-husband's grave in the wrong cemetery go around the world, almost as a joke, which is just appalling, um, nasty. But hope, hopefully someone got to put their kids through college on that. Uh, isn't it it really breaks my heart she should have she should have been able to say goodbye to him I think whatever you whatever you thought of of her and about their relationship she deserved at least that much um, which was pretty awful but she threw herself into a really good cause to get over this so indeed she did indeed, didn't she? So um, we're talking about AIDS research and awareness. Mm, yeah. So no one at this this point in the early 80s was talking about AIDS other than as, and I'm, I'm using quotation marks here, other than gay cancer. Mm. And nobody wanted to, to put their, their head up and say, I'm, I'm here to be the face of, of AIDS because yeah. nobody wanted to be kind of tarred by it or you know that it would be this horrible sort of terrible thing against them that they were they were prepared to talk about this this um, awful thing that was happening to gay people but she did she I mean she knew let's face it she'd been in Hollywood since the 1940s met a few gay people in Hollywood a few gay people that I hate to break this to people in the creative industries there are a few people who are not heterosexual floating around Zach's face is like mind blown just a few of them now she gets really involved in raising money for AIDS awareness and AIDS research and when her friend Rock Hudson was dying so very famous actor Rock Hudson uh, who was a closeted homosexual he had AIDS and he died of pneumonia in Paris Um, so it wasn't known at the time that it that it was AIDS she took a mutual friend to go and visit him, uh, President Ronald Reagan, because mm. he'd been an actor too. And again, whatever whatever you think of, of Reagan, 
he went to see Rock Hudson with Elizabeth Taylor and he was the, the first world leader to actually mention the word AIDS um, in public. The word came out of his mouth and he was not immediately struck down by righteous lightning or, you know, he suddenly turned gay or anything. You know, he, he acknowledged that AIDS was a disease that needed to be fought and he went to Congress, he went to the Senate and he said, we need to allocate money to AIDS research and AIDS awareness. Now, it's a, I know it's a, it feels like a, like a bit of a stretch, but I do think it is entirely fair to say that without a start of Elizabeth Taylor's calibre coming out and talking about AIDS, we would not be where we are now. It would have put everything back. If people were still ashamed to even mention the word in power, in positions of power, we would not be where we are now. So she's an incredible, incredible um, thing, Elizabeth Taylor. And she really did. This happened at that particular moment in time. So a real legacy of heartbreak there that she did. And then she dies in 2011, right? She lived a, a good long life, actually, for someone so sick. I mean, the number of times Elizabeth Taylor was hospitalized at the point of death in her life, several. I can't even, there's no point. There wasn't even any point in me going and listing these in this in this piece because it's just there's just so many she's in and out of hospital like you would not believe um but she lived till 79 and um uh, it was heart failure that got her in the end uh, but when she was buried in 2011 uh she was buried with richard's last letter to her that was her wishes she never she never revealed what he wrote in his last letter to her but she was buried with it so it was obviously very special to her and in just a totally elizabeth taylor ballsy move and i love this so much she was 15 minutes late she was in she instructed in her will that her service should start 15 minutes late because she wanted to be late to her own funeral <laughs> i mean how cool is she <laughs> i love that i absolutely love that um of all the things that's going to be the thing that's going to stick with me forever that she insisted on being late to her own funeral because you she can was imagine that kind the of number of times she was late on set and someone said you'll be late to your own funeral and she took that and there's, there's sometimes something about someone and you hear it and you feel like everything else gets unlocked and once you know that about her she was funny she she knew herself she knew her faults and she she just didn't care she did not care but these two continue to fascinate. I mean, like I say, we're 60 years on from when they first met now. They're a real product of another time, um, Burton and Taylor. And people are still fascinated with them for all the heartache, for all the drama. They loved each other completely. Um, for those of us that are left behind in perfectly functioning very happy relationships not looking at this thinking this is anything to aspire to you can still watch them over and over falling in love over and over again in Cleopatra you can watch the battling Burtons in Taming of the Shrew um, you can watch them drunk and picking at each other in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf they they'll never die they'll always be there Charlie we love you Genuinely, um, we absolutely love you. The, just the, 
there are those moments when you just get somebody who's so bloody passionate. It's <laughs> unreal. Um, and it puts certainly people like me to shame. Thank you for that. That was absolutely brilliant. Um, your cake stuff. I mean, if you were that passionate about Burton and Taylor, how passionate <laughs> are you about cake? How can people find out about your cakey stuff? And also, can you give us any kind of little spoilers about what you're writing? Because you are an author right now. <laughs> Da, 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 da. Yes, I am. A, the, the official job title I have is author and presenter, which I think is, is quite lovely. Um, I, I'm on social media, all social media platforms as Restoration Cake. Uh, I will share a cake that I made in my second book, Deliciously Decorated, where I did make a wedding cake for the Burton Taylors, because I would have loved to have done that. I'd love to have made them a cake. But uh, I'm working on not only this fabulous article for Inside History magazine, which is probably out now. So check out Inside History. It's a fantastic mag. I'm working on a project with Alex. We've got a project in common. We have indeed. We have. We're working on our essays for the wonderful Mr. Ian Dale and his Kings and Queens project. Yeah, I get to do, well, I get to try and squidge as much of Queen Victoria's nutty parenting in as I possibly can in a few thousand words. That's and just nobody, insane. Nobody will be surprised to know which monarch you've ended up with. Oh, I've got Charlie Boy, Charles II. Boop, boop. But yeah, I'm I'm so do you know what? Actually, writing about the Burton Taylors has really, really helped me because I've been um working on a historical novel about Charles and Barbara Villiers. And actually, here's a little insight for you. When I whenever I've described Barbara Villiers, I've been working with the idea of Elizabeth Taylor. It's always been her. If I could cast her, if I could cast those two, if he was taller, he'd be a perfect Charles. He's a bit too short. And can we cast 40-year-old Elizabeth Taylor as Barbara Villiers because women don't die at that age and are not totally useless to society? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Hollywood is evil to women, but, you know, we we know that. Uh, But she was, I have to say, she was a proper baller. In that system, apparently she, as a as a teen, told Louis B. Mayer to get stuffed, which is nobody, no one did that. But that might have just been her own little legend that she made about herself. She was incredible. Charlie, like I say, we love you. Thank you so, so much. When our guests join us to talk about their work in their new book, the 45 minutes or so they spend with us is just a taster of all their efforts. So to this end, we have launched our very own bookshop on bookshop.org, where you can find our guests' latest and greatest books. You can support them and you can support History Hack too. 10% of every sale via our bookshop supports the podcast and allows us to keep at it and bring you more amazing guests. You can find our bookshop at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash history hack or just search on bookshop.org for us under the shops bit. Thank you for your continued support, and here's to your next great book. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.